0: The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. And welcome back to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I am joined today by music director of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, Dr. Mac Wilberg. Welcome, Maestro. Thank you. Great to be with it's you. It's so great to have you. You're more than just a conductor. You're a composer, arranger, man of many, many talents. But what I want to talk to you about today is the most recent collaboration between your institution and ours. I, I know that the Mormon Tabernacle Choir records quite often, but it's actually been a little while, 2002 I think, since you guys collaborated with the Utah Symphony. Correct. Yeah. Yes, so it's, I mean, that we're talking, is right.
1: We're talking D- 15 doesn't years. Doesn't seem like that's possible. I agree. I, I agree.
0: We just recently collaborated on a Mahler 8 disc, which I know everyone's very excited about. Are you excited about the upcoming release, which as we record is two days away?
1: Indeed. It was a huge project. Yeah. I would say 95% of everything that the choir does has a microphone in front of it. Right. Which can be a great thing, but also sometimes not such a great thing. It
0: makes them very seasoned, though, doesn't it? It they're, does. They're tough. It does. Yeah.
1: And so we we approached this uh, project uh, having prepared quite carefully mm-hmm. for it because not yeah. only was it at the live performances, but we knew that it would
0: Preserved Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the live aspect because I remember, I mean, we saw each other a lot during that week because as general manager of the symphony, I was heavily involved in this process. And I remember the live recordings, those two nights in the tabernacle and the patch sessions as being fairly stressful events. I mean, there just seemed like there was a lot of work to do in very little time. I mean, what was your impression of those two nights and the experience as a whole?
1: The only thing more stressful than a live performance is a recording session. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you you only have so much time and you have prescribed amount of material that you have to capture. Yeah. And so I always tell choir members and, and then our orchestra, before we start, don't personalize anything that I say. I'm not going to probably have a lot of patience. Right, right. We have to do it. We have to do it correctly, and we have to do it quickly.
0: No so, time for messing around. No time. Yeah. So yeah.
1: it is a very stressful
0: time. At the same time, I think that I quite enjoy the process. Recording is one of those things that I always say sharpens all the knives. Everyone's at their best during Absolutely.
1: Knives. After we have finished a, a recording... Mm-hmm we're always better yeah. for having done so. Yeah, there's
0: like this halo that lasts for a few weeks where everyone's just right. At the best. Their chops are the best. Absolutely. Their concentration's the best. I should mention, because it's not going to be necessarily totally clear to people that hear this recording, but these concerts were recorded live at a very uniquely Utah experience called the Tanner Gift of Music that the choir and the symphony have collaborated on for a number of years. And the interesting thing is you out there in the listening audience hear this malerate is that it was performed twice before packed free houses these concerts are free they are free and i mean how many chances do you get to hear a malerate with institutions of this quality for free pretty incredible Speaking of Mahler 8 and repertoire, you talked about how busy your group is. You have a very wide and varied repertoire these days. You're doing we do. stuff all over the map. How often do you get to do works kind of like Mahler 8? Has it become more of a rarity as you become more busy? Or do you try to always mix that in each year?
1: Since doing the Mahler 8th, we've done a Messiah. Uh-huh. And not a cut or a bridged Messiah. We did. The, we've done the whole thing. Did you do it at Easter or at Christmas? Uh, We did it at Easter time. And then we've also done uh, Beethoven's only oratorio, Uh Christ on the Mount of Olives. Right. So in answer to your question, we have done two major works since since recording the Mahler. And our Temple Square Chorale, which is a an ensemble that only functions four months of the year mm-hmm. in the 17 years that it's been existed, We've done three Mozart requiems, mm-hmm. uh, a B minor mass, two Bach, St. Matthew Passions, Von Williams, Donanobis Nobis, Pachem twice, King David, Honegger, anyway, you get the idea. Fantastic. And that ensemble is made up of new singers who are coming into the choir and mm-hmm. also our current members of the choir who all want to have the experience of singing those major works. On our broadcast every week we'll have a at least one chorus from a, a major composer and a major work but in the course of the year it's difficult for us to do too many large works.
0: Sure because you're just so busy I mean you have weekly performance we responsibilities. Have, we have
1: uh, our Sunday morning broadcast drives our schedule and really our our musical lives. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, it sounds like you're still anxious to perform, you know, what are commonly accepted as the grand old masterworks yes, of this repertoire, yes. and I, I wonder, what are the benefits to the choir from performing and recording this kind of music? I mean, what are the lasting effects of a Mahler Eight type experience for well, your Well, the
1: Mahler Eighth, I think, is a little bit unique. In my humble opinion, it may be among the most or maybe the most difficult Hmm. work of its kind Mm -hmm. a a tonal work let's put it that way sure it's written for double chorus which i always say when it's written for double chorus it multiplies by twice the amount of work that you have to do because you're essentially (laughs) learning a piece twice and there are different singers in each choir and one choir by itself is a lot of work but trying to unify two choirs so they sound like one choir right Is again, it just it's double, double the work. Sure. And then, the way that Mahler wrote the piece, it's I think that a lot of the vocal lines are instrumentally conceived. Mm -hmm. It explores the entire range of a singer's voice, both the highs and the lows, and it is a
0: difficult piece. Do you find with Mahler that you're not only exploring highs and lows but the limits of loud and soft? I mean you might be 350 people but you're still competing with a giant orchestra.
1: Absolutely, you said that very well. You have to produce a lot of sound without sounding like that you're over singing. Right. And we had to talk about that quite a bit. Yeah. I, I think it's also one thing a live performance you can sometimes get away with certain things and but when you're recording it, as we did this, mm-hmm. you know, over-singing simply will not do.
0: No, right, because it's posterity. I it's... always
1: say that the microphone amplifies all the flaws. Yeah, sure. I wish it were just the opposite. Uh, I wish a microphone would amplify yeah. all of our strengths. Right. 95% of every performance that we do, yeah. whether it be in the Tabernacle or, or other places, right. is has a microphone and is either being broadcast or being recorded, and therefore
0: lives on forever if Absolutely. you will Absolutely, no hiding there's no hiding yeah the tabernacle has such a unique acoustic I it mean, does really nothing quite like it in my personal experience and probably not in yours either and you've been in a lot more That's, buildings than yes me. do you mostly do your recording there these days yes
1: we do all of our recording it, it is our home yeah uh and it is a unique acoustic Yeah. it's Actually quite difficult for the choir to hear themselves. Sure. And we are a large choir, obviously. Right. It's hard for the choir to hear themselves and also I find that the acoustic tends to gobble the diction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've I've heard other choirs, and not the tabernacle choir, but other choirs sing at various places, sound terrific and then they come in the tabernacle and It's like, where did the diction go? Right, of course. And so that's one of the things that we have to deal with. With that said, I'm not complaining at all. It is a unique place, and we're grateful that we have it. But like any place, it does have its uh, challenges. Well, it's
0: a wonderful golden acoustic by the time it reaches the ears in the audience it's just it is gorgeous. and it and it
1: sounds much different in the audience Absolutely. than it does up in the loft itself
0: you know this idea of gobbling diction it does the same thing to an orchestra yes sure. it
1: does it's hard for the orchestra to hear each other right, in there right. it's just amazing to me that the utah symphony and of course the, the abravanel days mm-hmm. that they they did all of that magnificent performing Absolutely. and
0: recording yeah. in that space yeah I read recently. You might be able to confirm this if, if you know the the history that Abravanel was famous for recording all of the Mahler symphonies. Of course, yes. Eight was the first one. No, I did not
1: know 1963,
0: that. 1963. It was wow. the first one. It was the one that got the whole project started, which is well, incredible. Well, he
1: was, as we all know, a, a great pioneer. He in was. All of
0: that. He absolutely was in so many ways. So, speaking of recording and how much the choir does it, I, I appreciate the fact that your group has made a commitment to recording and. Few American ensembles can really match the amount of material you're able to produce. I wonder what your 21st century recording philosophy is, because you and I both know, Mac, that this is an age when that kind of material is becoming scarce. And how are you able to keep it going? Well, the the
1: recording industry as a whole, as we know, has has changed enormously and continuing to change. We're hoping to continue to record. Mm -hmm. The choir has quite a remarkable history of recording and also being... at the forefront of recording technology throughout the decades. Well,
0: you used to record for Telarc when they were on the cutting yes, edge of sound that, that, reproduction. That's yeah.
1: correct. Yeah. And you can go all the way back to 1910. As far as we know, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was the second choir to be recorded ever. Huh. The first was the Vienna Boys Choir.
0: Well, that's good Europe. company. <laughs>
1: exactly. And, and from the little research that we've done, yeah. they recorded probably a year or two before the, the Tabernacle Choir. but. The first recording of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was in 1910.
0: Wow. Do you know the rep? Do you know? Yes. Yeah. They
1: sang a couple of Messiah choruses. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I hope I'm saying this right. They did Victor Herbert, who, of course, was right. one of the most famous composers of the time. I think they did sure. the Indian Love Song or ah, something like okay. that. Yeah. So it's interesting that they, they had Messiah, and then they were recording something a little more popular. You can listen to that recording, and it's quite... It's quite remarkable I to, need hear, to hear that. hear yeah. that. and start, So starting in 1910, yeah. then in the 1920s, they had made some breakthroughs in recording. We have those recordings all the way up through s- stereophonic sound. The, I believe the choir is one of the first ensembles to be recorded using stereophonic sound. And yeah. then... We, we just continue to th- from there. So recording has been a very important part of the choir's history, and, and we hope that we, we can continue. One of our advantages is that yeah. we have our own label, yeah, and so we're able to do what we want when we want to.
0: A, a lot of orchestras are doing that. Yes. There's like Chicago Symphony has their resound uh, sound Right. I, I have, have some of those recordings. They're fabulous. Yes, you they know? are. But I know that you guys switched to that, and I wondered if it gave you freedom in terms it, of. It, it definitely a gives of us projects. freedom. Yeah. It gives us
1: freedom yeah. freedom to do yeah. what we want, as I said, when, when we want to yeah. do it. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I feel like I can speak for the entire Utah Symphony when I say that being able to do this project with an institution of. The stature and quality of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was an incredible honor. I mean, there's only going to be one Mahler Aid out there with you guys on it. That's and, right. And we got well, to do it with well, you. Well, the it's, honor was ours. It's it, pretty it was, prestigious. We're excited. It was a,
1: it was a, a wonderful uh, collaboration. I'm
0: not sure if you've seen them, Mac, but the first couple reviews have been very positive. Good, so, well, good. And, and I,
1: I, I sort of stay away from the reviews. I know,
0: and, and, and you probably should, but um,
1: I, I would much rather live by the memory. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Those of us in administration kind of have to look at it because we're going to be <laughs> asked about it later, but well, we're really excited about the release of the Mahler HCD, and I thank you so much, Mac Wilberg, for coming on the Ghostlight Podcast to talk with us about it.
1: The pleasure is mine. Thank you very thank much. You.
0: The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera Season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.